This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I don't need anybody. I'm I'm independent. Yeah? Me too. I'm whatever you said. Independent. What do you say we both be independent together, huh? Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're recapping all the best financial lessons of 2023. Bringing us gold for prosperity, it's Ball of Pant. Here with frankincense to help soothe our financial anxieties, it's OG. And coming in with some myrrh so we have something to throw away later like three-week-old leftovers, it's me? Me? Really? Wow. I guess I'm on this one. But that's not all. Halfway through the show, since we're breaking all the rules, we have a new game called Benjamin in Your Box. And now, a guy who'd come down your chimney if he had to, to bring you the best financial advice, it's Joe High. So many phrases there that we regret already. Hey everybody, welcome to our last episode of 2023 that's live. We got a big week next week. Oh, sorry. Was that not appropriate? We are... No, it's completely appropriate because, uh, oh, gee, we're bringing it today. we got a really good show. A little recap, a little recap action. We do. And here to help us recap, the Paula Pant. How are you? Ready to do some recapping? I am. I am great. I am so ready to review the, the last 365-ish days. Looking at the list of things you might talk about, I was thinking there's a lot of uh, dumpster fire yeah. that happened in 2023. 
And uh, because Len Penzo on our team had a uh, family emergency, neighbor Doug has been nice enough to step in. Doug, you think you're up to it? Nice enough. You, you literally had my arm behind my back. <laughs> I ow, ow, I'm ow. like, wait, I did what? <laughs> I'm twisting my arm. I was like, I was getting cuffed. No, we're super happy you're able to do it. But I don't think you know the rules. I mean, you know the announcer person rules. Do you know the participant rules? No, because you always put me on mute whenever uh, I'm done. So I. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. You did it again. Every damn time. You muted me and now you're. Hey, Staggers is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience my good friend Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want them to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join, open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open, maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit navyfederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things they offer 24 seven help for the U S based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to Navy Federal. Dot org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy and Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Wow, we made it through that. Doug's here. OG's here. Paula's here. Let's recap 2023. All right, we're just going to take these in order of uh, what you all think are important. And uh, Paula, let's, uh, in order of what you think are important, did I say? Yes, uh, what I think in are order important. Of what you be think. If what you be think are important, I think is the correct phrase there. <laughs> Paula, why don't you kick this off? Let's go. There's a lot to choose from in 2023. What would you like to tackle? Sure. Well, as we all know, or as I hope we all know, Time's Person of the Year is Taylor Swift. Taylor has revolutionized so much of how the entertainment business operates. The movie that she shot about her era's tour, she cut out the middleman when it came to distributing that movie to movie theaters. That has not been done before on any major scale. So she was able to produce the movie, cut out the middleman, make a direct deal with AMC theaters and all other theater chains. And that 
is likely to send some pretty significant reverberations throughout the the film and entertainment industry. In addition to that, as I mentioned, in every city that she goes to, she creates massive economic effect. There's a boost to the economy of each city to the point where leaders in Thailand, in Chile, in countries around the world have begged her to come do shows in their countries because they want economic boost from a Taylor Swift concert. She's also one of the few people who, in a highly polarized environment, pretty much everybody can agree on. She doesn't represent one extreme or another. She's she's one of the last, or I should say the few, hallmarks of national unity. There's We, we covered this, uh, this story right as it was happening when she was cutting out the middlemen. That's episode 1412. People want to hear that roundtable episode where we talked about this. But I think, Paula, a big lesson, because I think there's a lot of people going, what does that do with me and my money? But I think there's a huge lesson here that a lot of us and a lot of the products we buy, we're dealing with middlemen. We're not dealing with, you know, there's a lot of people calling themselves financial advisors. And in a lot of ways, they are middlemen. And man, if we do what Taylor did, we might be able to save some significant money. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of financial lessons. There is uh, finding efficiencies, right? So her cutting out the middleman in the distribution of her movie is an example of finding an efficiency. She spotted an inefficiency in the way that things are are done in standard procedure. And she shirked standard procedure in order to do something in a in a more cost-effective way and in a more economical way. She, in addition to that, I think we can also learn the financial lesson that she, at a very early age, invested in herself. And I know that 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 phrase, invest in yourself, is a little nebulous and can sometimes be used in this rah-rah, rainbows and unicorns kind of uh, subjective manner. But what she did in a very real sense is that she decided to be laser-focused on just one thing and to devote all her time, all her money, all her attention and energy to just that one thing, which was the development of her music career. So she, after high school, did not go to college. Instead, she started touring full-time. She, and Not that I'm telling people not to go to college, but it's an example of choosing one path and not getting distracted from that path. Every check, every especially if you read the Time Person of the Year profile, Every early paycheck that she got, including when she was 18, she got a check from Kenny Chesney, the country singer Kenny Chesney. It was a from the point of view of 18-year-old Taylor Swift, it was more money than she had ever encountered in her life. And what did she do with that? She invested in tour buses. And then she used those tour buses to take her show on the road and get into more performing venues and, and grow her what at the time was a very nascent career that had really, you know, Lots of 18-year-olds want to be professional, famous singers. Very few do it. But she was not willing to consider the quote-unquote safe route. She was willing to take the risk of of being an entrepreneur, of betting on herself, and, and of really pursuing something that has outsized rewards if it works out. I think, obviously, Paula, there's a ton there to unpack you know, it's interesting, though, is that I heard another interview this year from uh, Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. and Springsteen talking about when he got his first record deal. He knew he had one shot. He knew it was the biggest shot of his life. But by that time, even though a lot of people didn't know who he was, he had performed so many times 
that he's in this executive's office. It was just another performance. Mm -hmm. Like for him at that point, he was a seasoned professional. Yeah. Making sure that he, you know, to your same point about Taylor's early career, just honed it and honed it and honed it and honed it. Right. Exactly. The other thing that was written in the Time profile, which I encourage everybody to read, it was fantastic, is that in order to to train for the Eras tour, she ran on a treadmill for three and a half hours a day while singing the songs that she's going to sing in the Eras tour, a catalog of about 40 songs, while singing every single one of those songs out loud. So for three and a half hours a day, she ran while singing. Wow. As a lesson here, OG, if you want more, you got to do more. I I like what Paula said. You know, it just seems like she, I, I don't know much about Taylor Swift other than my daughter, is infatuated and uh, would do anything to go to the concert, (laughs) you know, the next time that it's around. It seems like, you know, what Paula said about her being laser focused on what was hers and what she wanted to be great at. Obviously, I followed a little bit some of the story about when she had to kind of redo her own music because the contract sucked. And I think the thing that's most impressive to me is instead of like crying in her beer or getting in trouble, you see a lot of famous people who fall off the deep end somehow, you know, and just something off the wall happens. She just went, all right, cool. That sucks. That's not what I wanted to have happen. Think through it, solve the problem, and then solved it by going, oh, this is the best way for me to solve this problem is just go redo this in a different way. And from my unscientific viewpoint, it looks like it worked out pretty well. I also like some of those other anecdotal stories about her because, you know, you don't see this a lot. I think it was her who gave, didn't she give like a bunch of like gigantic bonuses to all the tour people who help? Right. You know, because I mean, she was making billions of dollars and she gave bonuses of around $100,000 to to each person. Yeah. It gave people like 100 grand bonuses, like, hey, here you go. Thanks for, yeah. thanks for helping. That's, I mean, that's super cool to see too. But again, I think a lot of people listening to this are going to be like, I can't give $100,000 bonuses, but taking care of the people around no, you, but you can show I appreciation. The, right. yeah. You're only as good as your team. Right. Absolutely. You can show appreciation for the people that are around you and and remember that before you were successful, there were people, you know, what do they say? Be, be kind to the people that you pass when you're going up the ladder because they'll be the same people that you pass when you're coming down. <laughs> you know, it's like, it seems like she's had a pretty big impact in just about every, I mean, look at the NFL, the impact of, you know, on football and people who've never watched a football game in their lives are watching football so that hopefully they can see Taylor Swift in the stands. I mean, it's crazy. Doug, a lot of people don't know that uh, in your career, you've always been a, a systems guy. When you take a look at some of the systems that Taylor had, if we're trying to emulate some of those systems, how would you approach that? You know, I, Paula touched on a few things. OG did too. One of the things that she did was build a team and then trust the people on that team to do what they're really good at and allowed them to create processes that were repeatable and also expandable so that they weren't just processes that worked for that tour or for that album, but their their financial processes, their operational processes that were what we call in the systems world, we would call them extensible that could grow as she grow, grew, growed. Be growed. Grew, I think it's be growed. Be growed. Yeah. She is a business person as much as she is an entertainer. And I think that's what really makes her impressive that she has both of those skills because it is really hard to continue to create music that is appealing to a really broad audience, but it's also really hard 
to keep that going financially. We've heard of so many entertainment acts that have failed, not because of their losing their appeal, but because of their business decisions that they're making. Hall and Oates come to mind. Billy Joel comes to mind, <laughs> who have lost everything because of business decisions they made, whether it was having the wrong people on their team or investing in the wrong things. And so, so far, it would appear that Taylor has figured out how to avoid those missteps. An interesting piece of this is when she sidestepped all of Hollywood, I mean, clearly Taylor knows what she's doing, but I also think that points to smart people in her corner as well. You know, I don't think, OG, that Taylor Swift just calls up Disney one day and goes, I'm going around you. You know, I I think she's running that by some pretty good people on her team. I suspect so. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of you, OG, what's an event of 2023 that uh, really you think impacted uh, our stackers money? Uh, from an event standpoint, I liked all the conversation that happened around Charlie Munger's death. I mean, not the fact that he died, but all of the, wow. Yeah. I like the fact that this old man kicked off. I had the under on that one under a hundred and I won by just a couple of weeks. Yeah. You look at his life, which obviously got highlighted here over the last, you know, month and a half or whatever. And I'm struck by a couple of things that the fact that he was kind of the silent number two over the more gregarious, certainly more face of the organization, Mr. Buffett, the fact that he was more successful than Warren Buffett going into their partnership, which I thought was kind of interesting by a tenth of a point, I guess. And the credit that he gets now for changing the whole direction of their organization, which, you know, Warren Buffett's not shy about giving praise and making sure that, you know, he's pretty uh, humble also, as humble as you could be with a hundred billion dollars, I guess. But some of the lessons, I think that the two of them together, and as we're, you know, learning more about Charlie Munger's role in this whole thing, the lessons that the two of them had around making smart decisions with your money, making smart decisions from an investing standpoint, and basically holding on to stuff forever. You know, they both lived in their own houses that they bought, you know, in 1950, whatever, 1960, whatever. You know, they were both going to the office every day virtually, which I don't know that I feel like work until I'm 99. But I bet that some of the fact that he worked until 99 was the fact that he made it to 99. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, he was doing what he liked to do. He was obviously financially independent decades and decades and decades ago. And yet he still went to work every day. And I don't think that he went to work for the pursuit of more. It's not like he was like, what do you mean? I've only got a billion. I can't retire on that. I need a two billion. You know, I got to keep hustling and get my side hustle going to optimize my, you know, that's not why he was working. He was working because he liked what he was doing and he felt convicted in the, in the daily activities. And I look back on my grandfather who has now been passed away for almost seven years. Grandpa was 97 when he died. I think that a lot of the reason that he was healthy and well and you know had a great life was because he had all sorts of stuff going on. He wasn't the proverbial retiree of, I'm just going to sit on the rocking chair and you know watch the sun go across the sky from my porch. And I see a lot of comments on Reddit and all this other sort of stuff about financial independence. I can't wait to leave this crappy job and get the heck out of here. And well, what are you going to do? So you got 2 million bucks in the bank. That's great. High five. But now what? You can't stop doing stuff when you're 40. You have to keep growing. I think that the more we recognize that phrase of like, if you're not growing, you're dying type of thing, 
makes yeah. a lot of sense. You know, it's, it works in everything in fitness and money. Yeah. I mean, how hard is it to be in shape when you're 46? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like if you didn't do this stuff when you were 36, you know, it's a lot harder at 46. And I can't imagine what it's like to be you old guys. Like, my God, you must, He's, oh my. you either just mail it in every <laughs> episode. I am what I am at this point, you oh, know? Yeah. I word. <laughs> well, D-G-A-F, we know that you mailed it in. Maybe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, noted. It's very obvious. <laughs> but it just seems to me that there's got to be purpose and thinking about how this man worked until he was 99 and obviously lots of other great things. He gave away lots of money and he was gifting. You know, all that other sort of stuff is really cool too. But there's a lot of lessons here about how to how to live your life, be happy with what you have. And surprisingly, when you're happy with what you have, you get more of the things that you like. You know, we did a show, OG, do you remember when we did the woman who was studying Catholic nuns and why nuns live longer? And the reason they live longer is the sense of purpose, that they have a mission. And I think there's a tie-in here. You know, she definitely lived a different life than Charlie Munger, but uh, Rosalind Carter at 99 as well. And you look at the Carters after Jimmy Carter left the White House, just his mission and purpose beyond president, all the uh, Habitat for Humanity stuff, the thing, the, the things that both of them did. I think that has a lot to do with their longevity. Uh, Doug, thoughts on uh, Charlie Munger? You know, I think it's his candid approach to managing money that was so refreshing. He showed it doesn't have to be a PhD. It doesn't require a PhD in economics and finance to be successful. You can just be very simple about your approach and be remarkably successful. That's what I think made him so appealing. You know, he dressed it down for sure. He he did not try to make it sound like you had to be a genius to be successful. And I, and I think that really helped everybody in our community for sure. He definitely stuck to his guns, Doug, and he had an opinion. I mean, I love in our tribute to him after his death, just that uh, snippet of him, you know, his thoughts on crypto, crypto crapo. <laughs> he, he called it like he, he definitively had a point of view. Paula, your thoughts on Munger? He brought an immense amount of wisdom into money management and into the world of finance. So many people, I don't think people actually think this once they go like deep into finance or personal finance, but I think people at the beginning, people who may only have a superficial understanding of the fields of, of business or finance might think that it's only about money. You know, a superficial understanding of it leads to the assumption that the field itself is superficial. And I think Charlie Munger, perhaps better than almost anyone, through his quotes, his observations, was able to express financial lessons through words of wisdom that could be applied in many arenas of life, whether it's about risk-taking or about diversification or about, here's one example, his hiring philosophy was that trust is more important than skill. Meaning you, if you hire somebody, you can always train them on development of a particular skill, but you can never teach them to be trustworthy. Either they are or they aren't, right? And so he prioritized character above skill. Wasn't it his quote? It was something to the tune of, I'd rather have somebody with an IQ of 140 that thinks they have an IQ of 120 than have somebody with an IQ of 120 who thinks they have an IQ of 140. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Like Lake Wobegon, where everybody's above average. Everybody thinks they're above average. Right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All the kids are beautiful. Doug, what's the first event of 2023 that you would like to shine a light on? 
two events really stand out to me that happened in 2023. And well, one, you get one. I know. Well, but I'm just I'm <laughs> foreshadowing the listeners for my next one that's coming to let them know that I'm thinking cohesively. But one led to the other. And so I'm going to quote Jimmy McMillan from uh, your neighborhood, Paula, who said so eloquently, the rent is too damn high. So now how that would translate to us is the rates are too damn high. The Fed raised the rates. If you looked at January 1st of 2023, rates, interbank overnight lending rates were 4.38 and we're ending the year at 5.38 and it matches their goal of trying to be somewhere between five and a quarter and five and a half. Why'd they do that? Well, we all know they did that to try to thwart, suppress inflation. Seems to have worked. Certainly recently, the markets have reacted in a way that said, great, it's working. And because you're not going to continue to raise them, markets have really gone crazy in the in the last couple of days. All of that's great. But there were some negative downsides of, of those rates being raised, one of which was a lot of consumer spending that would have happened over in 2023, like buying houses and buying cars, slowed down considerably. Even though savings rates have really, you know, they're in the, the top four or five of the last 25 years, 2023, people are saving a ton of money, not quite 2021 levels, but they're saving a ton of money, but they're not really able to spend it on the things that you often save money for, like houses and some investments, other tangible investments, because the cost of those funds have gotten really high. We talked about uh, the effect of rates on real estate investors on our wrap-up show for our sister show, Stacking Deeds, uh, Paula Yu and and Crystal Hammond and Mindy Jensen uh, dove into that. So people want to hear uh, rates for real estate investors. That's a whole different discussion. But Paula, Doug talked about rates and homeowners or first-time homebuyers. Like if you're somebody that a year ago thought you were going to buy a house and you waited, is there a lesson there? Well, so there's a few lessons there. Number one, there is enormous recency bias. I have been speaking publicly about purchasing real estate for over a decade. And I remember in 2012, 2013, 2014, everyone was saying, oh, isn't that dangerous? Isn't the market going to crash again? There was this recency bias in which because the memory of the 2008 crash was so recent and so vivid, people overestimated the likelihood that it was going to not only happen, but happen again soon. Likewise, as the memory of the Great Recession got further and further away, people's recency bias instead started trending more towards, well, home prices are so much more expensive than they were a year ago or two years ago. Doesn't that mean it's too late? Starting around, I'd say, 2017, 2018, I would hear that consistently every year. Oh, it's 2018. Home prices are so much higher than they were in 2016. It's too late oh, it's 2019. It's so much more expensive than 2017. It's too late. So that continued to happen. And so I think that part of the lesson is anchoring, you know, there's a cognitive bias of price anchoring. Anchoring your evaluation of something being overpriced based on what it was priced at a year ago is a flawed way of evaluating an asset. Now, it does make sense to look at your personal budget and say, all right, given how much money I make, how, given my income, given my debt load, given the personal circumstances of my life, does this fit in my budget? Absolutely. That is the proper way to do it. The improper way to do it 
is to price anchor on what a give any given asset, whether it's a stock, whether it's a home, price anchor on what that asset was worth and conclude that just because there has been a run-up, that means it is necessarily overvalued. So those are a couple of cognitive biases that I've seen. I've seen recency bias in the way that people evaluated risk, and I've seen price anchoring in the way that people evaluate whether or not a home is quote-unquote overpriced. Let's talk about recently what's been going on with rates, Paula, sticking with you for a second. A month ago, uh, the average rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage was 787 Mm-hmm. As we're recording this, today's average 30-year fixed rate mortgage, 7.41. So we've seen a big drop, right, off the top. If I'm buying my primary residence right now, do I wait because it looks like the Fed might continue to lower rates? No, no. Uh, you buy now, refi later, assuming that it, again, assuming it's within your budget, the operative question is, given your income, your debt, you know, your personal finances, can you afford it? Yes or no. But assuming that it is within your budget, do not wait because home prices are likely to only climb higher. One year from now, when we're concluding 2024, all of the factors point to home prices at, at this time a year from now being nationwide higher than they are today. So waiting doesn't make sense from a financial perspective. Assuming, again, assuming that it's within your budget. OG, we talked about rates and savers on Wednesday show. People can go back and listen to the headline that you and I did about that. Anything to add to what Paula said on rates that we didn't cover today or on Wednesday? I think the other thing to think about is if you believe that the rates are going to go down or at least stay the same for the foreseeable future, but probably trend down over time, then the only logical conclusion is that the house prices have to go up to match that. If you kind of just use history as a guide, what happened when rates went cratering down, everybody went, whoa, I can buy a million dollar house now with my income? I'm in. And so what did everybody do? My $800,000 house is now selling for a million. Why? Because there's tons of demand. And as the demand goes up, the price can go up to match it. And what's gone on as interest rates have gone up, then the demand has gone down. It's softened a little bit. So to Paula's point, if you're in the middle of a transaction right now, or you're going, hey, now's the time. We're, you know, we've saved our money. We've done our thing. It's time for us to buy our, our family home or a rental property or whatever you're going to do. I don't like necessarily using the maximum that you hear from realtors, but I've heard people say, you know, you buy the house you rent the rate. And that's kind of true when it comes to interest rates that are not 2.5%, which by the way, probably won't ever happen again. So back to Paula's point, who so eloquently said it already, there's just so much recency bias there. And I actually saw this the other way because I had a friend of mine who bought a house and it was like at 6.5 or 6.3 or something was the interest rate. And she was just, oh, gross. I can't believe I got this crappy rate at 6.3 and all of my friends are at 5 and this is so horrible. And you fast forward a year, she's like, boy, am I happy I got that 6.3 rate. All those suckers are at seven and a half right now. Woo, look at me, I'm at 6.3. Look at all the money I'm saving. It really is kind of a recency type thing. So if it's the time, it's time and it's a good deal, make it happen. Can I say one other thing about the housing market? I have this theory. So you know how right now there is a disconnect between public sentiment about the economy versus actual data about the economy. If you look at economic data, we're doing really well. Productivity is high. 
Unemployment is at a 50-year historic low. GDP is great. I mean, economically, all of the data shows that the U.S. is incredibly, incredibly strong. But public sentiment about the economy is very pessimistic, very negative. And so why is there such a disconnect between the two? Many people, I've, I've listened to a lot of pundits who have tried to offer hypotheses about this. And the most common explanation that I hear are pundits saying, hey, inflation, it may be slowing, but it hasn't reversed, which means prices are still significantly higher than they were a year ago or two years ago, and wages have not kept up with it. And so although economic data may be strong, the gap between people's wages and what they and their purchasing power is uh, causing a lot of this pessimism. I've heard that explanation many times. Eh, I'm not sure. I don't really know if that's a complete explanation or not, particularly given that consumer spending is high, given that people are going to restaurants more often than than they were previously. But I have this theory that the reason there is so much pessimism right now is because of the housing market. What's happening is that existing homeowners, 82% of whom have a mortgage interest rate below 6%, that is of mortgaged homeowners, I think those existing homeowners feel stuck, right? Because their mortgage interest rate is sub 6%, they don't feel as though they can move. They're incentivized not to move. And so they feel stuck. And when people feel stuck, when they feel a lack of mobility, they feel as though they are in a bad economic situation. Meanwhile, people who do not yet homes, prospective first-time home buyers, feel priced out of the market because they're hit by the double whammy of the price run-up that happened in 2000 combined with the interest rates of today. So you've got people who are current you know, prospective first-time home buyers who feel priced out, and you have existing homeowners who feel as though they can't transact and therefore they they lack mobility and they're stuck. And I think that combination is why there's so much pessimism, even in a time of robust economic data. I think there's another piece of this, though, that um, is a harbinger, though, Paula, of maybe not so great times coming. You look at the debt load of the average person in the United States. I feel like the average person is still living like it was a year ago, mm -hmm. like inflation has not gone up. Interest rates haven't gone up. And so I'm living this lie and I'm just mortgaging it using credit versus changing my budget. I don't know, but I think that piece of data just looks a little doom and gloomy mm, to me. Right. There's so many other headlines there. Well, we're going to have three in the second half of this show. But if you are a longtime listener of Stacky Benjamins, you know, here is where we put our usual trivia game. But the trivia game ended last week with Len Penzo as our winner for 2023. I have his trophy. See, it says Len. Wow. <laughs> are you holding it hostage until he, uh, or are you sending it out? No, I just, you know, I just, it's, it's a busy time of the hey, year. The year isn't over yet. You don't get, don't send it to him until 2024. <laughs> until he gets it. He can't put the crown on his head until January 1. It was nice of you, OG, to re-engrave it. Have it engraved with his name on it. It says oh, you're the nice. best. You can't see that, but it says you're the best. Aww. Mine came full of Hershey kisses, but uh, alas, his will not. <laughs> Somebody ate them. Uh, they were eaten. We're not going to point fingers. Somebody, <laughs> we're not going to name names. Somebody may have. So we know that Len and our first episode of next year's competition is going to guess first, but who's going to guess last? Well, the winner of today's 
special competition is going to do that. We have a game I've been waiting to play for a long time. This is a game to see who gets to guess last to kick off next year. It's a game called Benjamin in the Box. It's a bluffing game. Paula, you up to play? I am so ready to play and win. OG, ready to OG, ready to play? No idea what you're talking about, but yes. Well, here's how it works. What I'm going to do in just a second is I'm going to send you both emails. And in that email, oh, I'm already losing. One of you will have the word Benjamin and the other has nothing, but neither of you look at your emails until I tell you. All right. So I am sending you both emails and the email subject line says, is there a Benjamin in your email box? There goes the one to Paula. Do not look at it. Here goes the one to OG. Now, OG, you are going to get to look at your email and Paula cannot look at hers. The goal is to end up with the Benjamin in your box. Paula, have you ever had that goal before? <laughs> can't, can't say I have. <laughs> this whole thing was a setup for that line. It was 100%. I guarantee he's like... He's like, how do I put this in there? <laughs> oh, look what you did. I know, OG, you've had that goal. I uh, <clears throat> would always love to have a Benjamin yes. in my box. So whoever ends up with the word Benjamin in their email wins. Now, Paula, what's going to happen is OG is going to open up his email and he's going to see if the word Benjamin is So I get there. to check my email? Yes. And then he's going Which to decide. Which email did you send it to? OG at stackingbenjamins.com. Okay, obviously. And Makes Paula, sense. you are going to... You're going to decide whether you want to keep the (laughs) email. Wait. What are you doing? Did I win? (laughs) Oh, boy. I I assume I was supposed to guess whether or not his says Benjamin. If it really had it. Well, so, Paula, what's going to happen is, because I'm not going back. Okay. I'm not going. We're just going to play the game. Paula, your goal is to either keep the email that you have. Or take the one that OG has. <laughs> OG very well might have might have wrecked the game. We don't know. He could be bluffing. We don't know. It might not said Benjamin and he could just be playing dumb. It, right? We don't know. He can be smart on Thursdays sometimes. <laughs> All right. Am I supposed to make the decision right now? I generally think that OG just doesn't like to listen to the rules <laughs> to anything that we do. I think Paula might be thinking about uh, OG's long history. No comment. All right. Paula, would you like to keep your email mm-hmm. or would you like OG to forward Benjamin to your box? <laughs> I don't know what you guys are laughing at. I have no idea. This is a bluffing game about email. Obviously. Paula, would you like your email or do you want OG to forward his? Uh, I would like OG to forward his email. OG, forward your email to Paula. Here you go, Paula. Here, here, here's OG forwarding the email to Paula. Now, you each get your email. So, Paula, do you have the email? Can I look at mine? I can look at mine? No, look at the one OG just forwarded to you. All right. Who's going first? Whoa. Her mouth was a gate. What? what happened? What Whoa. happened? I got played. <laughs> I got played. Wow. <laughs> there is no Benjamin in your box. Wow. Whew. 
Congratulations, OG. Thank you. I always wanted a Benjamin in my box. <laughs> OG will be will be going last. It's like Christmas at my mom's house where my mom's like, how much money do you want for Christmas this year? And I'm like, but you're charging it to my Amex card. So this is a little <laughs> weird. <laughs> Joe's like, hey, I'm giving, I'm giving away $100. <laughs> kind of like, isn't it my money? Congratulations, you win $100. Yes. Thanks for playing. I've been wanting to play that game all year. Thank you for playing, guys. It is well worth, <laughs> by the way, it is well worth going to see the original of that. Yes. Thank you to Jimmy Carr and company for, uh, we will link to it in the show notes uh, because we just stole their game, which is a carrot in the box, by the way, ah. which might be even worse than say. Benjamin. It <laughs> 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 was a cucumber. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Second half of this podcast is brought to you by depositaccounts.com. OG, you know what happens when you go to depositaccounts.com? You deposit your accounts at the dot com. You can deposit your accounts. Uh, You find out what the rates are from more than 275,000 deposit rates, over 11,000 banks, credit unions, all for free. As we record this, the top 1% average, 4.94% on savings accounts. National average, still less than half a percent, 0.49%. You know how I know that? I just went to depositaccounts.com. You can then find out banks that are near you and uh, make the switch. Depositaccounts.com. All right, let's go to our second choice. Uh, Paula, what's another event of 2023 you'd like to shine a light on? 
the two letters that everybody's talking about, AI. Artificial intelligence as a field has existed for decades, but this was the year that ChatGPT came into the public consciousness and completely overtook everything. And since the popularity of this latest version of ChatGPT that was released in the early part of the year, since that took off in the spring, AI has since dominated conversation in every industry as people try to figure out how AI is going to reshape their industry and how, when I say reshape, what jobs will be created, what new jobs will be created, like prompt engineers or prompt developers, and what jobs will be maybe phased out or made obsolete or might have to shift in some way so that AI can be embraced as part of the new workflow. I was at my uh, strategic coach meeting uh, yesterday, a room full of entrepreneurs, and the number one phrase over and over was AI. How do I use AI? How am I going to make it so that we can speed up, be more competitive, be better? Mm -hmm. It's the thing that a year ago at this meeting, nobody was talking about that uh, flooded every conversation. We saw this, by the way, in a lot of stuff. Another big thing that happened this year, of course, the Hollywood writer strike and AI, a big piece of the writer strike, the use of AI versus versus writers. Right. But this is all jobs. Oh, gee, I know that a lot of people have fear around AI. Your thoughts around uh, the growth of ChatGPT and others? I know you have some stats on this, don't you? I found this. I thought it was really interesting. It was race to a million users. So how long did it take before somebody got to a million, some technology got to a million users, a million subscribers, whatever you want to say? Netflix took three and a half years. Twitter took two Facebook took 10 months. Dropbox took seven months. Spotify took five months. Instagram took two and a half months. And how long did it take ChatGPT? I'm going to guess a week. Yeah, five days. Mm. And now with the, with the app, I don't know if either of you have downloaded the ChatGPT app with the image creator that's tied to it. It's fascinating. Mm. My wife was sitting on the couch eating popcorn you know, just kind of playing on her phone. And I said, I just wrote in 40 year old woman, blonde hair, sitting on a couch, eating popcorn, playing on her iPhone, go. And it created this image of this person in her pajamas, just having, you know, just playing on her phone, having a popcorn. And you could literally tell this thing to do anything you wanted to do. And it will create whatever image you want. It's unbelievable. But I think the impact on this is learning how to use the technology as a tool as it relates to taking away the tasks that are already things that you're already doing. I'll give you an example in our business. One of the things that we were looking for a couple of weeks ago was tying our CRM, which is our contact management system that we use for our business with our email service, which is a whole different thing, you know, because you have, you know, an email program that does that. And I said, well, why is it the case that when a client does one thing, we can't automatically do the next thing for them automatically? They they have a child that goes to college. Why does it not trigger all of these automatic events of, hey, we need to reach out to the estate planning attorney and make sure your kid has signed a power of attorney for their health care? You know, just like these other things that people don't think about that we do one off at a time. And I think from a technology standpoint, people are worried about AI taking their jobs. AI is going to move their jobs up is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're going to do more and better things. And the tasks that can be repeatable are going to be 
thought of one time, programmed, which is the technology part, and then done for you moving forward. It's going to be, I'm excited. Doug, uh, there was a classic book written in the uh, early 2000s called Who Moved My Cheese, where it's a bunch of rats and uh, and the cheese clearly moved and a bunch of rats bemoan the fact that cheese moved. Is this a Who Moved My Cheese situation? It absolutely is. Yeah. And we've been worried about this for 50 years, 75 years. How about a couple hundred years since the dawn of the industrial age, as any new technology has happened, whether it's mechanical or artificial and, and ethereal, we've been worried about losing our jobs to pick a device. And yet more jobs happen and become available to us because the economy expands and new products and services get created because of these new capabilities. And so the only danger is if you're not willing to evolve with your skill set. Oh, gee, let's go to another one. Let's shine a light on a fifth event. Uh, we, we've actually shined a light on more of those. We got the Hollywood strike there. We've had yeah. many things, but what's yeah. another one? No, I think as I look back at just to, just overall market performance, I think it's just such a great story of of what happened in 2021, followed by 2022, followed by 2023. And it's, it's such a great microcosm of things are great, things are not so great, things are great again. And if along the way you made the decisions from an investing standpoint based on the results of the previous year, you would have always been wrong, right? If you had said, oh my gosh, 2021 was awesome. I'm going to dump all my money in now, January 1st of 2022. And then you waited until the end of 2022 and looked, you would have said, oh my gosh, I'm down 25%. This sucks. I'm taking all my money out. And now we sit here today, ah, oh, dang it, I'm up 23% or the market's up 23%. So it's just such a great example in, a, in such a short period of time of the day-to-day -day ups and downs, the fluctuations of what happens in the market have no bearing on long-term outputs or long-term outcomes. And if you're if you're day trading, if you're thinking about, oh my gosh, I need to make changes based on small things that are happening in the economy or small things that are happening in the world, you're missing the boat. You're investing for 30 years. Invest for 30 years. We don't have any idea what 2050 is going to look like, but you need money then, and it should be invested in the greatest companies in the world. So invest it. Don't touch it. But Paul, we, you were talking earlier about sentiment. You know, sentiment being down. OG saying that the you know the market had a great year. Mm -hmm. Like imagine if you just followed sentiment, you would have done exactly, you would have stepped right in it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mar market had a great year, but you would never know that by talking to a, you know, random to the average person at the average bar or coffee shop. The disconnect between economic reality and public sentiment is wider than I've ever seen it. So that's just another reason not to listen to voices at the water cooler or these days social media, right? Do not listen to voices on social media when guiding any money-related decision, particularly your investments. You know, Joe, I, OG talks about how old we are, so maybe it's time to just lean on that a little bit. Wailed. <laughs> Can you remember a time when this has happened before, as Paula was describing, where we've had so many great economic indicators, but one or two that is making everybody so bummed out. I can't, I mean, usually when the market's doing what it's doing now, people are, it's like 
1988 all over again and woohoo, let's go. And yet that's not happening at all right now. Can you can you think of another time we've had this polarizing kind of uh, indicators? I think it's more the news cycle versus than economic indicators, more the news cycle versus the because the news cycle with all the stuff going on in the Middle East with the just world uncertainty, the Ukrainian conflict, you've got so many, you got so many things going on just, just worldwide, nationally, that I think that's the thing. It feels like there's a lot of uncertainty, doesn't it? And yet the market marches through it based on, based on data. Like it's data versus emotion. Yeah, based on fundamentals. I was listening to a podcast the other day that the host was talking about presidential, whatever, you know, uh, approval ratings. And when they poll individuals about what's going on in the world, they can, you know, they manipulate that stuff based on whatever's going on in the news. It's like, tell us how you feel about the U.S. and their international, whatever, international aid package. Well, it just so happened to be that five minutes ago, there was just a bunch of news stories about, you know, we're helping, we're not helping, we're doing too much, we're doing too little, whatever, right? And it's like, well, what do you think about that? And it's and, and that always seems to be the focus of whatever the polls are happen to be. And so if all of the economic news is inflation, interest rates are high, boy, this probably sucks, huh? What do you think about that? It's like everybody's like, well, I guess, I don't know, you guys just told me it sucks. So it I sucks. guess, I guess it sucks. I guess I'll go with sucks, Bob. I sucks. <laughs> I'm going to take uh, sucks for 200, Bob. Or number three. <laughs> it's very manipulative. Let's do one more here. Uh, Doug, uh, finish it off. Yeah, I said my first one led to my second one, uh, which was, you know, the, the rates got really high. The rates got high to try to stave off inflation. But the negative impact of that one of thousands was Silicon Valley Bank collapsing in March of 2023. Uh, because, you know, when when and, and OG can speak far more deeply on this than I can. But when they raised those rates, a lot of the investments that Silicon Valley Bank had were treasury bonds and other long-term investments that got hugely negatively impacted by the cost of funds rates going up because of what the what the Fed was doing. And so they collapsed. Everybody freaked out. All the depositors, the huge depositors in Silicon Valley Bank thought, I got to get my money now. What did SVB have to do to give them their money? They had to sell off a lot of those, and they took huge losses on those investments in order to give people their money back. I know, Joe, when you asked for your $50 million, that was probably the yeah. straw that broke the camel's back. You only got back. 25 back. It was you only got 25 back. Pretty rough. Way to go, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. You know, that, that was a pretty unique situation for Silicon Valley Bank. They had enormous amounts of deposits between 2019 and 2021 because what was happening in the technology sector. And... Uh, but what did that do to the rest of us? Back to just a minute ago, you were talking about the news cycle. We all freaked out because we thought, oh, the whole banking system is about to collapse. Well, maybe not. There were an awful lot of safeguards put in place that really isolated the unique situation that Silicon Valley Bank had that led to its demise. But the rest of us had about 20 minutes there where we were thinking, we got to go. It's time to, you know, it's a wonderful life, this thing, and get our money out. Yeah, Paula, Gene Chatsky talked about this on uh, Wednesday with us. Her point was the banking system is the one thing we think you'd rock, right? Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, is this a time when having a name brand bank is the lesson? Have your money, you know, maybe that Wells Fargo is not as bad as we thought it was because I know it's a name <laughs> well, I brand. Go that far. <laughs> Easy, Joe. <laughs> there, there was certainly, 
especially right around that time of Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic, there was certainly, I think at that point more than ever, a lean towards putting your money into large banks rather than community banks or credit unions, which really doesn't actually make sense because as, as long as your bank is federally insured by, if it's a bank, it's going to be one agency. If it's a credit union, it's going to be a different one. But so long as it is federally insured and you don't have accounts that that are above and beyond that insured amount, you are likely to be okay, or you'll be as okay at bank A as you would be at bank B. But we come back to the theme that keeps recurring throughout this episode, which is that there is a disconnect between reality and sentiment. So the sentiment might trend towards a bigger bank because there's a psychological feeling of safety, even if the reality is any bank that is federally insured or credit union that is federally insured is as safe as any other one, assuming that your the total value of the deposits in all of your accounts at that institution does not exceed the insured level. Oh, gee, this happened on March 12th. We came out with a special episode directly after a rare Tuesday episode of our show where we walked through what was going on. Now you've got, you've had another nine months. Do you look at uh, Silicon Valley Bank situation differently now than you did nine months ago? I mean, it certainly was disconcerting for a lot of people who were involved in it in the moment. And I think backing up to 2007 or 2008 when the money markets went down and kind of broke the buck as that happened, patience really served a purpose there. It all worked out okay. And the same thing was true, like Paula, you said, when it comes to the Silicon Valley Bank and and what was the other bank that took a crap? First First Republic, Republic. yeah. Signature Bank. First Republic. You know, if you followed the rules as it related to the FDIC insurance, and you see a lot of changes with that. We've got a product with our firm that now allows people to have up to $12 million of FDIC insurance because we can kind of manipulate it and, and aggregate all the different banks and have one statement. So if you're not paying attention to that, it's a really big thing. But for the vast majority of Americans, I mean, we're talking 99% of people, this is a non-thing. Your money is safe. The banking system is safe. Don't have over a quarter million in your savings account. <laughs> you know, and if you do, oh, damn. get somebody else to have another two fifty with, and then you get up to five hundred. I got to go, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> That's our number one uh, to do. I just like a very quick answer to this one. Either just a couple words, a sentence, maybe even one word. Uh, optimistic. Your thought about twenty twenty four. Optimistic, pessimistic. Uh, Paula, start with you. Optimistic or pessimistic? Absolutely optimistic. So every indicator is that the economy is strong and will continue to be strong. Unemployment is low, uh, which means jobs are prolific. There's innovation happening across a, a wide range of industries. There's enormous GDP growth, and we've seen a steady pattern of that. It looks as though there's wide consensus that the Fed is going to start lowering interest rates next year. In fact, the Fed even came out with statements to, you know, they, they can't make any definitive statements, but to the best of their ability to to really kind of indicate that they would, they've, they've basically said that that's on the docket for 2024, given what we know now, given the current trajectory with inflation. So the only thing that people are really arguing about is when will they start lowering rates? Is it going to be Q1, Q2? You know, that's the debate. The debate is not if, the debate is when. So with all of that 
together, uh, we've got every reason for optimism. Joe, there's no spaces between the words she's saying, so that was all just one word. That's a lot for one word. <laughs> Give me one word, maybe oh. a phrase. Or oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought you were running for president there like Doug. Sorry, I, I missed that part of the directions. <laughs> I think Paul is optimistic. Yeah. Uh, Doug, how about you? Good. <laughs> OG, finish it off. <laughs> OG just gives us a thumbs up, which is perfect on an audio podcast. I got fireworks behind me, bro. Here comes the fireworks. Yes. All right. I think that's a great place to put a pin on this before we head out to the back porch and find out uh, whatever craziness is going on with you guys. OG, what's happening uh, with you this weekend? You Somebody's got a birthday. Not for 364 days from now, but... Um, it was yesterday. All day. Happy birthday yesterday. Thank you. So that means you probably didn't get my gift because I didn't even know it was your birthday yesterday. Damn it, Bethany, he guessed it. That is like the singular best line in the in the whole Christmas vacation. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch Christmas Vacation. Watch the part with Aunt Bethany. And when they walk in the house and he says, I got you a present. And he Paul, says, I know you haven't watched this movie. You'll love this movie. I have not. You will laugh. Not You've never seen Christmas movie. Vacation? Never seen Christmas Vacation. Oh, my gosh. Oh, but you know what? You know what I did recently see is Polar Express. That's a whole different the thing. Polar Express. It's a whole That's not different even the deal. same it's a, it's a Christmas movie it's also. It's a warm it's fuzzy, a- but it's not. Like, no. Christmas Vacation is the is full. You have to watch it a thousand mm. times to get all of the stuff. So basically, yeah. Paula, the, the old man walks in and says, we got you the perfect gift, Clark. And he says, you didn't have to get me anything. And he goes, damn it, Bethany, he guessed it. <laughs> and it's like, but it doesn't hang there. It's not like he says Bro, it and it just kind of hangs out. Yeah. yeah. They're like, boom, just boom, gone. boom, 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 boom. On to the next, On to the thing. next thing. Yes. You should go into the yeah. living room and say hi to everybody. I should say hi to everybody. You should say hi to everybody. I should say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. Doug, big weekend. Not doing anything. That's what you're asking. Good. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to be skiing on lots of artificial snow this weekend because we are having a lousy start to winter, but. Still cold enough. I can we can make some snow and I get to go skiing. Don't eat the yellow stuff, buddy. No bueno. Fabulous. Paula, what's happening in Afford Anything? <laughs> three words, Paula. You get three words. <laughs> I, I miss that, so I don't. I don't listen to directions. Here's your four. I don't follow instructions. <laughs> so on the Afford Anything podcast, coming up in the new year. The first episode that we will be airing in the new year, coming out on January 3rd, is going to be an interview with Hal Elrod, the creator of The Miracle Morning, all about how to set a morning routine that will set up your day for success. And so with the new year, people setting New Year's resolutions, Hal Elrod is here to say, you know what, you've got your New Year's resolutions, you've got your goals, let's build you a spectacular morning routine so that every day can start strong and then you can move forward in the direction of your New Year's goals. Love me some Hal Elrod. That should be like a one-page book. <laughs> yeah, but Hal's got the, he's got the recipe. I wish uh, Hal had some energy, Paula. Right? Seriously. Yes. What a great way to not just kick off a morning like Hal Elrod, but way to kick off your the yeah, stuff that, exactly. that Hal brings to the table. Yeah, good stuff. We'll link to Afford Anything on our show notes at stackybenjamins.com or just pause this right now and go uh, make sure you follow Afford Anything wherever you're listening to us. All right. That's going to do it for today. Time for the back porch. Uh, Paula, uh, you're eating some gross stuff. What's going on there? I'm eating some delicious stuff. 
macaroni and cheese flavored ice cream. Hold on. Before we dive into this, do you just like regularly buy mac and cheese ice cream and just have it in the refrigerator? Was this, are you doing this for us? So this is limited edition. When it first came out, it was very, very hard to get. I checked like every store, couldn't find, I put myself on the wait list for it, you know. It's like a Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. It's shocking that that wasn't widely available. The wait list. <laughs> yeah. Um, could not get it. And finally, 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 I in like some far back freezer depth of like the 18th store I checked, I finally found it. Like, ma'am, you can't be back here. Ma'am, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's our private stash. (laughs) Bought out their entire supply and then like slowly uh, rationed it over the span of of the next year. And when I was done, I was like kind of grieved that like I just finished the last of the world's supply, you know. Speaking of eras to (laughs) her, it's like. (laughs) And then. The era is over. They brought it back. They brought it back. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. I suspect it might be, uh, it might have succeeded so much. It devalued the whole f-ing thing. <laughs> all of a sudden, it's all over the market. You can get that crap anywhere. <laughs> you know, it may have succeeded so much that I suspect they might bring it back seasonally because I noticed they brought back the mac and cheese ice cream right around Thanksgiving, which was also when they rolled out the sweet potato casserole ice cream. So I suspect. Wait, hold. Stop. Yeah, what? yeah. Sweet potato casserole ice cream. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's that's scintillating and gross. Doug, let's get out of here before I throw up in my mouth again. Doug, what should we have learned today? Or what, what's what's uh, what's our thing? What's our thing? What's our, what's our thing? thing? I know. Wrap it up. Well, Joe, here's your thing. First, take some advice from our panel. The news matters, except when it doesn't. Sometimes when big stuff happens, whether it's financial or not, you need to decide if and how that might affect your long-term plan. If it doesn't, just let it flow by you. Second, if your plan includes making a large purchase, don't let recency bias prevent you from buying that house. Even though mortgage rates are higher, that might also mean that housing prices are suppressed. Consider moving ahead anyway and refinancing when rates come down. So what's my biggest to-do? set up a nest camera in my living room so I can see how the hell Santa is getting in and out of here without making a mess and also to see if he's the one who's been dipping into my spiked eggnog. Thanks to Paula Pant for hanging out with us today. You'll find her fob... Fabulous podcast. Fabulous. Fabulous. You'll find her fabulous podcast, Afford Anything, <laughs> wherever you listen to fine a podcast. Fine. Like Hollis. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Saul Our producer is Karen Repine. This show was written by Lisa Curry, who's also the host of the Long Story Long podcast, with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Wonder how beautiful we all are? Of course, you'll never know if you don't check out our YouTube version of this show, engineered by Tina Eichenberg. Then you'll see once and for all that I'm the best thing going for this podcast. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. 
Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude and Kate Youngkin are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. Say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Or would you like OG to forward Benjamin to your box? (laughs) Okay. If we're airing this, then what I know in 2024 is the censorship is going way down. Because this is spectacular, but I just know that this takes the muzzle off of me for 2024. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate take a look at all the military appreciation month offers and their usual offers navy federal our members are the mission navy federal is insured by ncua equal housing lender